1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmade and this week we're delving into our archive looking back to January 2019 and a conversation with actor, director, writer and perfume creator Richard E. Grant.
2: Every single person on the planet has experience of friendship. The fact that these two go through all the vicissitudes of friendship, from loyalty to love to betrayal and then the poignancy of reconciliation, seems to be what people have responded to.
1: In Can You Ever Forgive Me, we find ourselves somewhere in the 1990s, following author Lee Israel, played by Melissa McCarthy, as she struggles with financial troubles, writer's block and alcoholism. She creates a forced literary letter out of desperation and curiosity to pay a rent and feed her cat. As her journey into literary crime continues, she soon gets aided by sidekick Jack Hock, played by Richard E. Grant, who stumbles into a bar and into her
2: life. Last time I saw you, thank you, we were both pleasantly pissed at some horrible book card. Am I right?
0: It's slowly flooding back to me.
2: Can I buy you a drink? Even though you're the posh writer.
0: Thank you. Craigie, talk
1: Grant, the Swazi English actor, made his name in 1987 with a drink-infused, instantly quotable film With Nail and I. He has not stopped working since, with just under 60 film roles to his name. To pick a few, L.A. Story, How to Get Ahead in Advertising, Jack and Sarah, Gosford Park, who else has appeared in both Spice World and Star Wars. He also wrote and directed the 2005 film Wawa, loosely based on his own childhood. I met Richard E. Grant on the day he discovered he'd been Oscar nominated for Best Supporting Role for this film. We do talk in passing about the ending of the film, so beware of spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. We began, though, with the Academy Award nomination. I join you on what is a rather exciting day for you.
2: Yeah, never, never happened to me, never before or since, Never, certainly never been nominated for a BAFTA let alone an Academy Award. So, yeah, Oscar, it's absolutely out-of-body, levitating experience for me. I'm not cynical or plaza about any of it. I'm absolutely thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) Have you gotten here before? I mean, in, in the roles you've done previously. No, I've never been nominated for anything. I was nominated Most Promising Newcomer in 1987 for Withnell and I. I was beaten by two young women, Jodie May, who won with Chris and Scott Thomas, and that was the last time.
1: And, and did you have any inkling with this film, which which is rather delightful, that it that it was going to gain this kind of
2: traction and this kind of effect? No, absolutely none. It wasn't rocket science to work out that with Melissa McCarthy in it, it would get noticed or get some kind of critical traction because of it's such a departure from what, apart from the screen role that she played in *St. Vincent*, she is you know her her larger than life comic persona has so predominated that I thought, well, whatever she does in this it will get some attention but none of us could have predicted the attention that it has got least of all her
1: you've played an incredible amount of roles on tv or film over over the years when you have a new project like this and a, a new film
2: what are you looking for do you know or is it you looking for what you haven't seen before you hope that the film is about something or that you're going to have a connection with the people that you're working with or the subject matter and because it's capturing a kind of now gone, frayed of the edges, literary bohemia of the early 90s in Manhattan. And it's a true story. That immediately is attractive because you know that there's source material and the fact that it was all shot on location in the places and bars mm. where all this, these forgeries and this friendship between Lee Israel and Jack Hawk, the character I played, took place, gives it a kind of veracity and authenticity that... You hope that you're going to get in a movie um, and that you know, doesn't doesn't come along very mm. often, certainly not in my case. And how did you become Jack Hawk? I mean, the clothes were amazing. Arjun, the costume designer, gave me all these spandau ballet, you know, frayed at the edges, <laughs> way past their sell-by date, last cast at the singles bar, neuromatic stuff on a very advanced middle-aged man <laughs> ten years after they were fashionable. So that was an enormous help and I key into how flamboyant this man Saw himself, and I also requested that I could use a little stubby cigarette holder that is what Lee Israel had conceded that was a characteristic of how he carried himself off. So I thought that in combination with the clothing gave me a, a kind of steer into that he, he certainly had the street smart and self-confidence to swashbuckle his way around Greenwich Village at that point in time.
0: You're friends with um, Julia? Somewhere. Steinberg? Yeah.
2: She's not an agent anymore. She died. She did? Jesus, that's young. Maybe she didn't die. Maybe she just moved back to the suburbs. I was confused, those two. Uh, that's right. She got married and had twins. Better to have died. Indeed.
1: And I read that you didn't meet or sort of discuss the role with Melissa until very near the actual filming.
2: Yeah, we met on Friday, the 20th of January. 2017 and we began we met for two hours and had lunch together and discussed everything with Mariel head of the director present and then we started shooting on Monday the, the Monday so there was there was practically no time wow. so it was <laughs> laugh with Melissa McCarthy she is hilarious and heartbreaking by turn she's incredibly emotionally present person and there's no subterfuge or you know sophisticated game playing whatsoever what you see is what you get and uh, you know I come from a small town in Southeast Africa. She grew up on a farm outside Chicago and <laughs> Illinois. So you know, there's there's some sensibility that we met in the middle and thought, yeah, you know, well, we kind of recognised something in each other that was, you know, has forged a proper friendship.
1: Obviously, the film rests on your two shoulders. But what did the director bring, or what did she bring out of you two?
2: She was incredibly open, collaborative, nurturing, and wore her authority very lightly. Having said that, you knew exactly who was in charge of, of everything. And she just, even though it was a very tight shoot of 26 days and a low budget, all shot on location with snow blizzards in New York at that time of the year, it never felt rushed or that you weren't able to fully, you know, give as much value and time to the scenes mm. as as you could. So, you know, that in itself is a, is a talent. So I would work with her in a heartbeat. And she'd just done... The Mister Rogers biography, oh, yeah. um, starring Tom Hanks. So she's, you know, she's flying. And for
1: you, and, and maybe perhaps what you observed with Melissa, obviously because you you've done so many roles, does she ha- have to do subtle things to sort of shift you out of your comfort zone, or maybe make sure the comedy beat is 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 correct or how she imagines it?
2: I don't really know how to answer that because you. you you have all the dialogue, and you rehearse a bit, and you block out the scenes. You know, first thing in the morning, and then they bring the crew in to see what you're doing. So, I'm hopeless at intellectualizing anything. I'm just—it's <laughs> just completely instinctive. And and you do research you've come up with um, to what the what the scene is about, and you react off what the other person is is giving you or not mm. giving you. Okay. So, I don't know whether that answers your question.
1: <laughs> I think that's fair. It's like me—you me, know—if you, if you do something for a living, I mean demanding that you tell me exactly how you do it. It's yeah. something you do every day.
2: I don't know how I do it. I know you learn the lines and you, you put the clothes on and you hope that something's going to combust when you work with another actor. Um, what that is or how it happens is a complete mystery to me. <laughs> I have I've no, no understanding of it, <laughs> genuinely.
0: Lee, today was to have been the Esquire shoot with Spence. Difficult days, these. Thank you for your sympathy and understanding. Ever yours, Kate. P.S. forgive the splotches. All tears lately. What a lovely apology. This is very special. Why would you part with it? Clutter. You know, I'm I'm not a very sentimental girl. Handwritten, even. You're the Lee Israel? Jesus, is there another one? I've read your biographies. Have you? You're a wonderful writer. Thank you. I want to remind my publisher.
1: Have you had much experience with literary letters, which is obviously the, the, the big theme of the, of, of the film?
2: Yeah, I played George Orwell in Keep the Aspidistra Flying with Helen Bronham Carter about 20 years ago and also played Anais Nin's American husband, Hugo, in Henry and June about her um, affair with Henry Miller. So those two films, there was an enormous amount of background reading Mm. of actual letters and books uh, to be done um, that's always helpful and it informs what you do you know you hope that somehow by osmosis that's going to transmute you know through the words that you are given rather than what they had actually written
1: this film kind of has interesting ideas in the sense of the character of lee she sort of falls into creating these letters but she wouldn't succeed if there wasn't a demand for it it's it's the it's a demand that's the interesting thing
2: yeah well i, I I don't know whether this corresponds with people no longer having religious faith in the West, certainly, in the way that they used to, but this desire that we have to invest literary or celebrity figures in any field with otherworldly or godlike qualities, you know, she's absolutely tapped into that. So autograph hunting market and literary letters... If somebody believes that these are the letters of Dorothy Parker, Undiscovered, or Fanny Bryce, or Noel Cowder, Mahler, Dietrich, or Lillian Hellman, then I can see the appetite for that. You know, it doesn't, A day doesn't seem to go by where, on Instagram, there isn't a new Marilyn Monroe picture that has never been seen. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to credit that Marilyn Monroe had enough time in the 36 years that she lived to, to be photographed that many times in that many different locations, but on a daily basis, there are new ones mm. that come out. And they're obviously not fake, but I can see if if you're a you know, a mad aficionado of a certain literary figure to have undiscovered witticisms and letters from them because it's so different from an actual work where you, because a letter like a diary is the most intimate personal thing that you can have a that person. So you feel that you have direct access to that personality and she she's absolutely tapped into that.
0: Thanks for coming. Yeah, I, uh, I brought some wonderful Faulkners that I unearthed not why I called. Listen, the FBI has been in here to see me. The FBI? They asked me to wear a wire. I'm not gonna do that to you. I'm a good guy. Uh, And if they want me to be a witness, I'll lie. But you are gonna pay me $5,000. I don't have $5,000. You're a clever woman. Figure it out.
1: I don't know if you have any letters, but I loved reading that you and um, Steve Martin in LA Story had a, a sort of conversations, or you kept always faxes or something that he sent you.
2: Oh, I've been corresponding with him for 30 years, so what used to be faxes then transmuted into emails. <laughs> so he has a fixed worth of uh, correspondence between us over 30 years. Lee Israel. It's Jack Hawk.
1: When you kind of come into the story, it's um, it's quite nice because I don't know. Sometimes there's a big long backstory, or there's a kind of convoluted way in which you come in. But you walk into a bar, <laughs> though it does turn out you had met each other before. But it, it, it's quite nice because you, you're, you're both lost lost souls, you know, lost people that find each other perhaps at the right time.
2: Yeah, and I was very struck by two films that when I were trying to, when I read the script, and I was trying to find parallels of. Oddball buddy movies, albeit that Lee Israel is a woman. Neil Simon's play, the odd couple with Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau was an obvious example of two opposites somehow rubbing along together and out of that desperation, sparks of comedy come out. And the other one was John Schlesinger's brilliant film, Midnight Cowboy, with Dustin Hoffman and John Foyt, where you've got two very lonely losers living in Manhattan and who form this codependent friendship. And I thought that was was a good steer into this in that you've got people that, despite it being such a densely populated island on the planet and with such incredible wealth visible everywhere, you can be as destitute and lonely and isolated as if you were in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Mm. So the unlikely friendship that they form is something that people have responded to. Mm. And I suppose whereas relationships that are based on marriage or blood relatives, every single person on the planet has experience of friendship in one shape or another. So the fact that these two go through all the vicissitudes of friendship, from loyalty to love to betrayal and then the poignancy Mm. of reconciliation, knowing that Jack Hawk is dying of AIDS, seems to be what people have responded to. Somebody who has lived his life as hedonistically and flagrantly as he has he lives in the day for the day because it might be his last day so i think in that circumstance there's no room or time to waste on regret filled you Mm. have to you have to grab life while you still can and i think that's that's what that's about
1: and there's a lovely sort of wink in the script where your character sort of says um that, that he could have made a great actor
2: uh clearly couldn't have made an actor at all because he was a, such a distinct personality, I think. Trying to get him to transmute into being anybody else would have been a very tall order. But, you know, he's a fantasist. It's an obvious thing to say, but I kind of want to ask, do you see a, a parallel between this and the character that you played in Withnell and I? Well, they're both alcoholic and both abject failures. But whereas uh, Vivian Withnell was so misanthropic and entitled and deluded about what talent he didn't have. Whereas I think Jack Hawk is so Labrador-like in that he'll go up to anybody and lick them into submission for a a bonk, bed, (laughs) booze, whatever, whatever he can get out of the situation. He's a great opportunist. So he would befriend you, whereas... I don't think Withnail would have cleaned anybody's cat shit up. Um, <laughs> but this guy does because he, you know, there's something much more humane about him and far less selfish, <laughs> albeit, you know, he's on the cadge all the time. Are there any roles that you haven't done yet? I mean, you've done so many. I don't know. I've, I've, I'm too old to remember. I don't look back, so I only look forward. So, you know, like, like dobbing the old donkey with a carrot in front, whatever <laughs> seems interesting or well paid or working with, with stimulating or talented people, mm. then, you know, that's where I go.
1: There's a nice tweet that you made today where you're sort of thanking the, the casting director who, who'd put you in touch for your role on um, Girls and then and for this as well. Are those people important along the journey for you as an actor?
2: Yeah, and I, it's, it's to my astonishment and regret that casting directors who are so crucial um, to every actor's career are not honoured with... A BAFTA category or an Academy category and I just don't understand why that hasn't happened. I hope it does Mm. because When you see every department on a movie is is honored with a category and Casting is not and you know, the movies don't just get cast by themselves They're cast by people who are absolutely brilliant at finding the right people. So, Mm. you know I think that's an enormous unsung category. So honoring them and reminding Of who those people are. I mean Jen Easton in this case and Mary Selway, who, who got me seen for withnell and I, you know, 32 years ago. I'm absolutely wholly mm. indebted to both of them.
1: And uh, again, which you've, you've talked about, is the fact that, you know, you're nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this film, but then why isn't the,
2: the director nominated for Best Film? It doesn't make any sense. You tell me. <laughs> you know, there's something about Mariel Heller's style of direction that is self-effacing in the best possible sense that... In the same way that Lee Israel wrote biographies and didn't force her personality to the forefront, in much the same way Mariel Heller is not doing, this is a Mariel Heller production where you kind of see signature marks of a particular directorial Mm -hmm. style all over it. The powers that be that vote for best picture and best director think that two performances like Melissa and mine that have been, you know honored and nominated and won so many prizes already We didn't arrive at those In isolation or by ourselves. They were the direct result of Mm -hmm. Mariel Heller, but she is very kind and All forgiving and generous and you know, she's just directed the Tom. Mr. Rogers story. So
1: she's all right. And lastly, you're, you're a fan of cinema. I mean, not you. Not only generally enjoy it, and like
2: today we're in the Barbican. But you know, you're a cinema goer and a TV watcher. I've watched a huge amount of TV. Well, I grew up in a country where there was one cinema, so the movie used to play for you know, it's a pre-internet or video or DVD or whatever. It would play Monday to Wednesday, and then another feature would come Thursday to Saturday. So that was your chance to see it. You know, if you really liked the movie, you had to bunk off school and go and see it three times, because then it was gone, never to be seen again. And there was no television where I grew up in Swaziland. So it's been a sort of lifelong obsession. And I've used to get Films Illustrated and PhotoPlay magazine um, subscription and long to see half the things that never, ever reached where I grew up. So and still go to the movies constantly and watch an enormous amount of TV. So, you know, I try and kid myself that it's for work, but I'm just a complete glutton for all of it. And I can't imagine that you've asked any actor that isn't um, interested in these things or have you.
1: Well, I'm not sure Sometimes you know, it's like people don't want to see themselves on the screen, isn't
2: it? Oh yeah, but that's very different from watching other people mm. or, or they don't want to rip, rip off someone else, I suppose Oh right, that's never crossed my mind <laughs> You can't imitate anybody else That way madness lies
0: <laughs> This uh, one line here was particularly clever, don't you think? It's wonderful I love his writing And Dorothy Parker as well, caustic wit, you know? Caustic wit is my religion. I can't carry it off. You certainly can. Doesn't help too much in the relationship department. I'm sure that's not true.
1: He was everything you hoped and expected him to be. Unfortunately, he didn't win the Best Supporting Oscar in 2018. That went to Mahershala Ali for Green Book, but I think it's just a matter of time before an Oscar makes its way onto his mantelpiece. I'm Ben Eshmade. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast, here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and themed series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out.
2: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com/QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors Inc.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better?